Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Today is a real special day as we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Actually, without this day, there would be no Christianity. But today I want to share with you a message, a resurrection message that actually I've never, I've never preached before. I've never taught from it before, and I, me personally, have never heard an Easter message from the passage from Scripture I'm going to read in just a moment. But I want to, be look, I want to look at two people in the account of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And what I do know is this, is that Jesus has invited each and every one of you into something amazing. And I believe that during this message that he's going to show you, he's going to reveal something tremendous in your life. And you're going to sense a fresh invitation from him. But before I read the passage out of John, I need to set the backdrop of this passage and what's going on, what's happening what has happened up to this point. And so the night before we, this passage that we're about to read, Jesus, as we remember, he chose to drink the cup of God's wrath for your sins. He chose to drink that. He surrendered his own will to the Father's will in the garden. He chose to pay the price for sin. And Jesus was praying and he was seeking God and meeting with his Father. And he was found in the praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and there he was arrested. Then he was quickly wrongly tried. He was wrongly tried in the courts, wrongly tried by the system. He was found guilty. And when his own people had the opportunity by by Pilate to give a gesture to the Jews that during Passover, Pilate was Roman, but he wanted to give a gesture to the Jews and so he said, hey, I will, let's set one of the prisoners free and you Jews can choose. And when given the opportunity, Jesus' own people chose Barabbas over him. He was a murderer. He was a thug. And they chose him. Now, all of this sounds like, oh, Jesus is a victim. He actually was not a victim. All of this was planned from the beginning of time. All of this was planned by God. All of this was With God understanding he would send his son to die for us. Actually, Jesus said this, no man takes my life. I lay it down willingly for the salvation of many. So this wasn't an accident. He wasn't a victim. Really, every character in this whole arrest and crucifixion was really a pawn in the chessboard of God's redemption for all of us. But he was arrested. He was found guilty. And he began, after they chose Barabbas, to endure the weight of sin, to pay the price of sin for you and me, and he began to drink the cup of God's wrath. He then endured the whipping on his back, which was done by the cat of nine tails. He was bloody. Blood flowed from him. He was mocked by his own people and the Roman guards who blindfolded him and would beat him and say, hey, you're a prophet. Tell me who just beat you. 
He was stripped of all clothes. He was stripped of all dignity. He was humiliated. His beard was gripped by others and ripped out of his face, leaving sores and open wounds. As if that wasn't enough, they then chose to weave a crown of thorns and they just didn't place it on his head. They beat it into place, sinking the thorns deep into his brow. He then was charged to carry a crossbeam that would be attached to the cross that he would be crucified on. He was then crucified and he breathed his last breath and he cried, it is finished. And the earth shook by an earthquake. And the Lamb of God was slain. This is the setting. Jesus' naked, bloody body, his flesh hanging suspended between three metal spikes, nailed to the cross. This is the scene. This is the setting as we come to John chapter 38, verse 19. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Now, listen, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by, here's the other character, Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. That's important to note. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So here's the scene. We have these two men. Who are they? What's their story? We have Joseph of Arimathea and we have Nicodemus. You know, we hear a lot about the 12 disciples at Easter as, as we should. We read the, the gospels, we read the books, we, we see the characters of the 12 disciples and they're distinguished, and, and we should read some of these characters. We need to remember their interaction with Jesus, but these two we don't hear a lot of. They are called in this passage, they're called secret disciples because they were in fear of the Jews. They were in fear of if the Jews found out that they were disciples, what would happen to them? These men were familiar. These two men were familiar with everything that had happened to Jesus. They, they were in Jerusalem. They were aware of it. They knew what, was, what led up to this moment. They knew that the, the veil in the temple, which was to, to, to separate the Holy of Holies from man, had been ripped. They were members of the Sanhedrin, so they knew the inside story. They, they were part of the religious leaders of the day. And they witnessed while Jesus hung on the cross, a darkness came over Jerusalem and it was dark for three hours in the middle of the day. They themselves were scrambling to try to find lamps and light them in the middle of the day. No one has ever done this. 
They felt the earthquake themselves. In this moment, these two men, in this moment as they had known everything that had happened, in this moment as they had seen and heard, as they knew Jesus hung on the cross, at this moment these two men were no longer willing to follow Jesus in secret. And they stepped out of the shadows and they moved from secret disciples to known and seen disciples. And I really pray this, this Easter season, God's stirred some things in your heart. I pray leading up to, to, to today that God has, has, has been working on you. I pray in everything that's gone on in our world over the last year that we have become aware that actually everything can change in a minute. I pray that we have become very well aware of the voice of God that's drawing us closer to him to actually, to, to, for us to be why he created us and that is to be in a close relationship with him. Maybe it's been you've heard his voice come closer because you know him or maybe it's been you don't know him but you realize something is missing. You realize when our world had to stop and we had to be stuck in our homes that there had to be more to life than what can change in a moment. I pray God's conditioned us to meet him today. I pray that God has revealed it's time for us to move from the shadows of maybe not knowing him or maybe it's time for us to move from the shadows of comfortable Christianity and go all in for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what we see these two men doing, and that's the invitation God's going to give to you today. I think we can create all kinds of reasons of why we can't really go all in, why we should stay in the shadows, why we should just kind of, let's just be, you know, listen, I, I can be a disciple, but I'm just going to stay on the fringe. I'm just going to stay here. Nobody's going to know, but yes, I'm a disciple. I, I, can't, I can't really openly follow Jesus because what will happen to my business? Or I can't really, I can't really tell someone I'm a follower of Jesus because, you know, I, it's, not, it's not in right now. They'll cancel me. If I, I can't really tell people I believe in the word of God and I believe in what it says. I can't really say that. I can believe it, but I can be comfortable and be in the shadows. That's what these two men were doing. And you might think, no, Jason, you don't understand my life. You don't understand my position. You don't understand the people I'm around. Listen, these two men, they had every reason to remain in the shadows. You have Joseph of Arimathea. The Bible tells us that he was a very wealthy man. Listen, someone who could have their own tomb chiseled and carved out from on the side of a, of a rock, and then also have the garden which the tomb was in. This was a very, very, very wealthy individual. Very unique. His ability to be able to have this and to create this. He would, he would be what we would consider a billionaire in our day. That was him then. He was incredibly wealthy. He was an influential man. We find in Scripture, Luke tells us that he is a counselor in Israel. Meaning he's, he's a person of, uh, of, of the council. He, he makes decisions. He, he, he leads. 
Mark tells us he's an honorable counselor, which is very unique. Some of the writings from the, from the Talmud, which are just ancient Jewish record-keeping from Israel, it says that there were only 14 honorable counselors in all of Israel's history, and Joseph of Arimathea was one of them. He was a well-known man. He was famous. Everybody knew his name. He was famous not only in society, he was not only famous with, with the wealthy and the influential, he was famous with the religious as well. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the religious leaders. And he has been watching Jesus from the shadows, from the secret place. He's been following, he's been a disciple, but nobody knew it. He was also a righteous man. This is a man who loves God. He's a follower of God. His family tomb was in Arimathea. That's why he's called Joseph of Arimathea. His father was buried in Arimathea. His father was buried there. And yet Joseph of Arimathea chose to put a tomb, pay for one to be built for himself in Jerusalem. Why? Why would you do that? Because he's a man who knows the Bible. He's the, he, he understands of the prophecies of the Messiah that, that's going to come to the Mount of Olives, and he wants to be near. He wants to be near the Mount of Olives. He wants to be near Jerusalem. He's a man that loves God and wants to be there when the Messiah comes. The Bible tells us that he was just and he was good. This is actually remarkable. He was a man because he was a man of incredible wealth. Significant wealth. I know all of us would say we want it, but the reality is it is an incredible burden to carry because it can do all types of things to your heart because of the demand and the opportunity that it attracts. But Joseph of Arimathea was a just, good, righteous man. He stayed faithful to God. He is a disciple of Jesus, but he was a secret disciple. Secret. Meaning, people around him didn't know he was a disciple of Jesus. But this day, of the passage that we just read, he steps out of his secrecy into the light of Jesus Christ. He's seen what they've done to Jesus. He's heard. He might have even been present. And he sees and he knows that Jesus is hanging on a cross and he's not willing for his body to be thrown into the valley into a trash dump. So he sets out. He steps out. He no longer stays in secrecy in the shadows of if I don't want to tell anybody, and he does something about it. Now, Joseph of Arimathea is not alone. He's with another man, and his name is Nicodemus that we're introduced in this passage. And Nicodemus was a man of God. We're first introduced to Nicodemus in, in John's gospel. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Why at night? Because he didn't want anyone to know he was coming to Jesus to talk to him. 
And he wants to talk with Jesus about what does it mean to be born again? What, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? I, I, I want to understand. How, actually, Nicodemus says, how is it that you can be born again and go back in your mother's womb? Like, is this what you're talking about, Jesus? And then the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus starts talking to him, and he says, that, he, sa he says this, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Why would, why would Jesus say that? Jesus says, I, I've, I've been trying to teach you with earthly examples, and you still don't get it? If I tried telling you with heavenly spiritual things, you're, you're, gonna, you're still going to miss it. And so Jesus made this statement about you're the teacher of Israel. Well, Nicodemus is a very influential man. Why would Jesus say that to him? Because I'll tell you why. Because if you wanted to study about the word of God and theology, you would study with Nicodemus. He was, he was the man that you would go to. He actually was friends of Gamaliel, which was the apostle Paul, who taught the apostle Paul before the apostle Paul got saved. He was, in, he, he, was, he was at the center of the education. He was the man. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was a famous Jewish leader in all of Jerusalem. Now here's something interesting. His oldest brother, or his older brother, is Flavius Josephus, which was the famous Jewish historian that has written a lot about all the Jewish history. And what's called the Talmud, which again, the collection of extra-biblical Jewish writings, it says that Nicodemus is well-known, and it also says that he is the third wealthiest man in all of Jerusalem. Fascinating. These guys had everything to lose. So he was a man of wealth. His daughter's wedding, now some of you daughters will appreciate this, his daughter's wedding was recorded to be the most extravagant wedding ever to be held in Jerusalem of all times. But what's very interesting, later there is a writing that his daughter Miriam, who obviously was the center of the of the celebration of her wedding his daughter Miriam was found it says picking barley from the dung of cattle what happened because of this moment that we just read Because of this moment that he stepped from being a secret follower of Jesus to a known and seen follower of Jesus, Nicodemus lost it all. He was friends with Gamaliel. And we find other writings that Gamaliel actually took him into his home to care for him because he had lost everything. Nicodemus put it all on the line. Nicodemus stepped from his secrecy into being seen as a disciple of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, obviously before this passage, they've talked. They've worked some things out. 
And so Joseph of Arimathea, as we read, gets an audience with Pilate, who's a political leader. And just like any good politician, you're always open to have a meeting with someone who has a lot of money. And so Joseph of Arimathea gets an audience with him because of his wealth. And Joseph of Arimathea uses his leverage and uses his, his wealth and who he is. And he requests the body of Jesus. And the scripture says that Pilate actually gave it to him. You take it. You can, it actually, the, the, the correct language is it was a gift to him. Joseph of Arimathea, no problem, you can have it. So he commands, give the body to Joseph of Arimathea, let them have it. These two men, they come prepared. Nicodemus has 75 pounds of spices for burial. He had to buy them. He had to go prepare them. Joseph of Arimathea has a linen cloth to wrap Jesus' body in. And these things are very expensive. They're very extravagant. It's almost as, as what, this is what you would have a funeral with. The elements of it for a king. That's actually what it was. But before they can use any of, this, any of these things, they need to remove Jesus' body from the cross. So these wealthy men, they're, they're, not, they're not familiar with labor, with working with their own hands. They're wealthy men. They usually hire people to do their work, but they don't hire anyone. We don't see anyone coming with them to the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't pay someone to do it. They do it. They step from the shadows into the light. Now you need to understand the, the process and how they would even do this. One had to probably wrap his arms around the waist of Jesus. And one has to pry the first nail out of the hand of Jesus, which Jesus' body would have shifted and he would have slumped. And Jesus is naked, he is bloody, he is slippery. And then they pull the next nail out and his body slumps down again. And his body becomes harder to hold and blood is all over them. And the, the gruesome scene is present on their own clothes. The Bible says Jesus was a man of stature, meaning he was, he was, he was a, a bigger man. And then the last nail from the feet is pulled out and the body, the weight of it is dropped. The Bible says Joseph of Arimathea holds the weight. And now they try to let his body down from the cross in a way that at least gives him some dignity. That his body wouldn't fall like some carcass of an animal. And they do their best with the slippery, bloody body to lay him down with honor. And as we read in John, it says that they prepared him with the customs for burial of the Jews. According to Jewish customs, before they would bury, they would, they would wash the body. And they would clean the body. So they take the body to a place to be washed. And they treat the water with some of the, the myrrh and the spices so there is a pleasant aroma as they wash Jesus' feet that they stood from a distance as they wash his body, as they wash his, all of his wounds, they, they care for him. They were the hands of love and care from the vicious hands of hatred and crucifixion. And so they begin to wash him. And they take first the crown of thorns from his head. 
They have to pull the, the thorns out that had broken off in his brow and his, in his head. And they begin to, to wash him. And as they, they wash, the, the, uh, the wounds, the blood's removed. And as the blood's removed, the wound becomes more visible. It becomes more open. And they wash the front of his body and they wash the, the wound in his side that the Roman soldier thrust the spear in. And blood and water flowed is what Scripture says. And as they clean Jesus, as they wash his wounds, they're confronted with what he has gone through. They wash his hands. They wash his face. They wash his feet. They clean the spit that is stuck in his beard because of the vile words spoken to him and, the, and those who were spitting on him and cursing him on his way to the cross. They clean the, the open wounds of his beard that had been ripped out of his face. And then... They roll him over. And what they're confronted with is unimaginable. From the wounds of the whipping, probably very, very little flesh remaining, open ribs are exposed. And they wash him. And they clean him. And then Joseph goes and gets the shroud that he brought, which is a large linen cloth that they lay Jesus on. And they bring the, the cloth over and they tuck it in one side and then apply the spices, the 75 pounds of spices over the linen cloth and over Jesus. And then they wrap it again and they tuck it under him again. And then they take a strand of cloth and they tie his feet together. Then they tie, take another one, tie his knees together. And they take another one and they tie his hands to his side. Then they take a what's called a face covering, and they tie, and they, they put it around the head of Jesus, which is to hold. They would do it from the top and the bottom to hold the mouth shut. They close his eyes, and they take his body, and they place him in the tomb, and they take the stone, and they roll it into place, and they leave, grieving, broken, why didn't we speak up sooner? Why did we stay in, this, in the shadows? Why were we ashamed? Why? The heaviness on their heart, I cannot imagine. Maybe they, they thought, I wish he could have seen that I stepped out. Nicodemus, I mean, he went to Jesus at night and they talked about spiritual things and but then when Jesus was teaching, he never saw Nicodemus. But he knew Nicodemus believed in him. Maybe at, at times as Jesus was ministering, Joseph of Arimathea was at some social, social event and he looked over a, a balcony and saw Jesus ministering and Jesus knew he's one of my disciples, but he's in the shadows. Maybe they thought, man, I... I wish it would have been like those 12. They were with him. Man, I would have loved to see him do anything, do all of this. I, I, I wish, regret, and they go home. But then three days later, they begin to hear some of these rumors, and they, they, they've already heard the priest 
were, they've heard about it because they're part of the Sanhedrin. They've heard that the priests have been bribing the Roman soldiers to not tell anybody the body's gone. They've heard that the veil in the temple is ripped. It's in two. And often on Easter morning, we talk about, as, as we rightly should, Peter and John running to the tomb to look inside. We hear stories of Mary Magdalene weeping and Jesus revealing himself to her. And the other women that came to serve, Jesus' mother came, Mary would come. We, and we hear these people. We hear about Thomas a week later. Doubting Thomas, or Jesus is like, put your, put your hands in my, in my side, touch my wounds. It's me, Thomas. And we know these interactions of, of these people with Jesus, with the risen Christ, but there were those two others. As the rest of the disciples, you know, they, they wanted to go see the tomb. There were two others that came to the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now, we don't have it in writing, but they heard the rumors. And they came to that tomb, and they, they, they walked. They could see it from a distance. It's, it's Joseph's tomb and area, and the, and the stone is rolled away. They've got to be thinking, what, what happened? And they look in, and the, and the shroud in which they, they, they wrap Jesus' body, it's flat. And the cloth that Nicodemus tied around Jesus' head to keep his mouth closed, there's something unique about it. It says in Scripture that the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. In other words, it was intentional. Like, hang on a second. Who did that? And it, was, it remained in there. I mean, if they were gonna, someone was going to steal the body, they would have taken everything. Why would, they, why would they leave? So they would not have unwrapped Jesus and then taken his naked body. No, they would have. They had to be thinking. They had to be looking at each other. But I want you to just catch this for a moment. These men, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, who had everything to lose, chose to stand with Jesus, but they did it for a dead Jesus. They didn't know what you know. They didn't know the next chapter. They hadn't been told by Jesus. Even the disciples that Jesus told, hey, three days later, we're going to tear the temple down and rebuild it three days later. They, they, they were given hints, but the disciples didn't even have a clue. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus hadn't heard anything. They did all of this for a dead Jesus. They stepped out of the shadows for a dead Jesus. They put it all on the line for a dead Jesus. They used their wealth and their leverage and their influence for a dead Jesus. If that's what they are willing to do for a dead Jesus corpse, what are you willing to do for a living, risen Jesus? That's the message of Easter. I wonder what it was like for them in the days after and what it cost them. The Bible tells us that when 
Mary Magdalene and Mary and another woman went to the tomb. Actually, they went to bring spices. But the tomb was empty and an angel met them there. <laughs> the angel said this, hey, listen, I want you to go tell the disciples that Jesus has gone to Galilee like he said he was going to. They are to go and meet him there. So we know Jesus, after his resurrection, went to Galilee. So we know that he taught. The Bible says that he appeared to many for over 40 days. Like over 40, this is historically proven. For over 40 days he taught and he met with his disciples. And he went to Galilee where the majority of his ministry was around the Sea of Galilee and the people he met there. And they were gathering. And on one occasion, the Bible says that he was seen in 1 Corinthians 15 by more than 500 of his followers at one time. So there was a large group there. And to think, I wonder who was there. I'm sure there was a man from Capernaum who used to be paralyzed, but his four buddies ripped the roof off of a house Jesus was teaching and had lowered him down and Jesus healed him. I bet he was there and his four buddies were there. I bet the man who was blind and Jesus mixed his own spit with dirt and made mud and put it on his eyes and his eyesight came back I bet he was there I bet the woman with the issue of blood who had spent all of her money to try to be clean and not bleed anymore so that she can have a normal life in Jewish society that she reached out and touched the tip of his garment as he walked through the streets. And he stopped and he said, hang on, power has gone out from me. And she was healed and she was given back her dignity, given back her life. I bet she was there. Or Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demonic spirits, who was tormented. She was ostracized. And he set her free. I bet she was there. I, I bet the woman who was called in adultery, and they, the religious leaders, were like, You sinner, you failed, you sinned. They were wanting to kill her, they were viciously after her life as she's cowering and quivering in fear. Jesus steps into the middle of them. And we don't know what he, what he wrote, but he began to write something in the dirt that every one of them, every one of the religious leaders that wanted to kill her, slowly made their way and left. Maybe he wrote their sins. Maybe he wrote the names of those they had committed adultery. We don't know, but what we do know is they were gone. And Jesus... I can see just what if he would have lowered himself, just gotten to the face of this precious woman and said, sweetheart, look at me. I want you to lift your head. Sweetheart, lift your head. Where are your accusers? 
And she looks around. They're not here. He says, I don't accuse you either. And he forgives her. And he restores her and he lifts her up. And he says, now go and sin no more. I bet she was there. But I bet you there were these two old men who'd been around a long time. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I bet they were there. They put it all in line. And they heard, they saw the tomb and they heard Jesus was in Galilee and they make their way. Now we don't know, but I wonder if there was ever a moment that Jesus caught their eye. I always imagine them together because of what they went through together. And he looked at them and they looked at him and he gave the head nod. Thank you. We don't know. But I bet they were there. They had stepped out of the shadows of secrecy and they had stepped into the light of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I mean, I think what would it have been like for them? The hands that they washed to see them moving? The feet that were pierced and they cleaned the wounds to see him standing? The mouth that they tied shut to see it speaking and teaching. The body that was lifeless to be glowing with life and joy and power and authority. The eyes that they closed to be open and moving around and looking at the hundreds of people. These two men stepped out of their secrecy as followers of Jesus. and said, I am going to identify my life with his. These two men, at one time, they were secret disciples is what the Bible says. Now listen, why? Because they were in fear of what the Jews would do to them once they found out they believed in Jesus. Here's the question for us. Are you a secret disciple of Jesus? because you fear what the world might think of you. You fear that the world, once they find out that you actually believe in the Bible, that you actually believe in a risen Christ, that you actually believe the truth of God's word, that you actually believe that once I become a Christian, he tells me how to live my life, I don't tell him. Once they find out you believe, they're gonna cancel you, they're gonna stop using your business, they're gonna reject you, they're gonna put you on some Instagram and, and hunt you down, they're gonna show up because you believe in Jesus. Are, are you afraid of that? You're afraid that the students in your school are going to reject you because you say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Are you afraid that those in your college are going to reject you because you believe in the Bible? Is that what you're afraid of? So many of us are in the shadows, secret disciples, and Jesus is calling you forward this Easter. You only have one life to live. One life. 
Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put it all on the line for a dead Jesus. Will you lay it all on the line for a risen Jesus? Will you lay your reputation on the line? Will you use your influence and stand for righteousness? Will you use your finances to strengthen the church and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Will you unapologetically stand for Jesus? Because Jesus is risen. And because he's risen, we will not fear. Because he's risen, we will shout it from the rooftops. I am a follower of the risen Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen and I am going to follow him. I will stand for his truth. And because he is risen, I'm gonna step out of the secrecy. I'm gonna step out of living a mediocre, comfortable Christian life. I'm gonna step into the light and I'm gonna be everything he's called me to be. It's time. We live in a world that wants to cancel you because you believe in Jesus. Who cares? The only opinion I'm worried about is the day that I breathe my last breath and I stand before the throne of my God that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. It's time. It's time. Step out of the secrecy. Go all in. We, we are living in a day and age that the, the return of Christ is fast approaching. The world is wanting to intimidate you, get you to fear, get you to back down. Universities don't want you to speak up. They don't want you to say anything. They want to label you as something. They want to call you this and call you that and, and, and say that, you're, that, you're, that you hate people because you stand for truth. Listen, we are followers of Jesus and no one and nothing else. That's the message of Easter. Stand up and be counted for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of Easter, that my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he owns me. Therefore, I am his. Therefore, I gladly shout it. I belong to you, Jesus. I'm your disciple. I don't care who's listening. I don't care who knows. I am his and will always be his. Amen. If you are willing to whatever area it is in your life that you realize I have been secretly following Jesus in this area. It could be your work, it could be your business, it could be whatever it is. If that's you if, you, if you feel it right now, you know it's time for me to go all in. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Every one of us, come on. If you want to identify your life with Jesus, stand up. The Lord has called us in this day and this hour. He put breath in your lungs to be his voice to a lost and dying world. How will they know unless someone tells them? How would they go unless someone sends them? That's why he saved you. 
to be a part of what he's doing on the earth. And this time and this hour, he created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb for this time. This intersection of time and space and the people that God has set around you. He did it so that you can be his representative to them. So that you can stand for truth. So that you can demonstrate to the world what true love actually is. So that you can declare the only truth that can set them free. We will not be silent. And we will be what he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that the resurrection of Jesus compels us to step out of the secrecy of our Christian life. We declare today that I am not ashamed to be your disciple. We learn from Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that we will not have regrets to speak when we need to. We will not have regrets to use our influence for the sake of righteousness. We will not have the regrets that we withheld giving wealth that you've given to us to help advance the church and advance the kingdom and reach the lost and be your representative. We will not regret not stepping out. Today, the die is cast, the line is drawn, and I'm going, and I'm going all in. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us, forgive us, Lord, I pray and I thank you today that you would re-remind us and fill us with the spirit that is spoken of in your word that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That we will be those who declare your marvelous deeds and your works among the nations. That we today will listen to The voice of you, Jesus, as you ascended to heaven to go and preach. Go and be my light. Go and be my salt. God, today we make a decision regardless of where you have placed us. Today we say yes to you using us wherever we are, however you choose. We submit our lives to you. We submit our families to you. We submit our work to you. We submit our influence to you. We submit everything about us, our finances to you. And we step out of the shadows into the light for your glory and for your purpose. And we say yes. We answer your invitation today with a yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Lord, fill us fresh and new. Thank you that you paid the price for us. And we say yes. Just remain with your heads bowed and nobody looking around. If you're here today and you would say that you have never given your life to Jesus. You've never asked him to save you. You've never asked him to heal you, to cleanse you to forgive you and to make you one of his children. And you want to give your life to Jesus today. Nobody is looking around. So I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand right now and hold it up high so I can see you and do it as a step. God bless you, thank you, 
Thank you. Just hold your hand up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. And maybe, maybe you want to, you just didn't raise your hand. Listen, you need to know something. The scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he lived for you and died for you and rose from the dead, that you will be saved. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you if you want to give your life to Jesus, to make this your prayer and to pray it out loud. And we're all going to pray it together. And the Bible says... That when you do this, you will be saved. Let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. I believe in you. I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. I believe you ascended to heaven. And I believe you're coming back. But until then, I am all yours. Do with me what you choose. Take me where you want. Let me speak for you. Let me be your disciple in public following you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Amen. <laughs> If you gave your life to Jesus today, right in front of you is a card. You can grab that card and fill it out. You can give us your information. <clears throat> and when you leave, you can drop it in the white buckets. Also, you can text save to the number on the screen, or you can just get on our website, faith.church, and you can find a place there that you can give us your information. We just want to help you on this journey because we all need each other. We all need a church. We all need other believers to walk it with. We all need pastors in our lives, and we'd be honored to serve you as you follow Jesus. If you'd be willing today to allow me to pray a blessing over you and your family this Easter, I would just ask you just to lift your hands, to surrender to the Lord, to receive from him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless every family, every life, every heart. God, you know what everyone's going through. And God, I pray that you would bless them today. May they sense your presence closer than they ever have. God, I pray that you would encourage them today. God, I pray that you would heal anxiety in their minds and thoughts and lies that the enemy has been telling them. God, I pray that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen from them. You would restore it back to them. That you would bless them. That they would be lights and salt. God, I pray you would bless their businesses. You would bless them at work. You would give them opportunities that only can be pointed back to you. God, I pray that you would open up every door that you want and you would close every door that you do not want. God, strengthen every marriage, strengthen every relationship between parent and child. God, anoint every young person to be what you call them to be. Lead us, guide us, bless us as we follow you in the open, in the light as your disciples. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Come on, let's give God one more hand today. Love you, Lord. Amen.